Well, good morning to all of you. Uh, so good to see you. Glad you are here. For those of you joining online, thanks for joining us as well. We hope and pray you are doing well. Well, we are making our way through the Old Testament prophets. We are reading the words of individuals chosen by God to speak his words, to communicate his truths to his people, the, the nation of Israel. And we're looking and highlighting certain themes, some major core ideas, topics that God addresses with his, his people. In the general pattern that we've seen so far of what God is saying is basically, in essence, to Israel. Israel, you are being unfaithful. You are being disobedient when it comes to this. Here are the consequences, yet here is how I will show my faithfulness. And my grace. And so far, we've seen God address the topics of idolatry and injustice. Right? Israel turning to worship and serve other gods and treating each other selfishly, unfairly, harshly, without compassion. And today, we're going to see God address the, the issue of Israel's flawed leadership. He's going to speak to the leaders of Israel. Now, I don't think most of us need convincing as to why bad leadership is, is bad. But just in case you do need a little convincing, uh, we're going to watch a short video clip. It's a compilation of some old AT&T commercials. It's going to remind us the importance of good leadership when it comes to various roles and responsibilities. So let's sit back and watch. All right, so we know. When it comes to certain roles, certain responsibilities, titles, positions, there's a level of, of competence, character, commitment, compassion that, that's necessary, that's important. And this is true, especially when it comes to leaders and, and leadership. I think it's safe to say that for most of us, we've experienced or witnessed at some point in our life poor leadership, whether it was having a, a difficult boss at work, a teacher, coach, instructor, trainer, professor, administrator, politician, government official. And many of us can remember the, the pain and the hardship and the frustration that we experienced and had to endure because of, of that leader. And in our world and society today, we see more and more broken, flawed leaders being brought to the light. Right? Individuals who use their power and their authority to inflict damage on people, hurt people, to destroy lives. And it's gut-wrenching to read about these stories, to hear about how these things unfolded. And in many ways, this is a byproduct of broken, sinful human beings in positions of leadership, given authority, responsibility, power. And what's true today was no different than it was back then, even amongst God's people in the nation of Israel. And it's why God addresses the leaders through the prophets. And one of the prophets he would speak through to address the leaders is the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1, says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. So here God is addressing the shepherds of, of Israel. Now the title shepherds, while it was an actual profession by many, was a title that was given to kings and, and leaders to describe as an analogy, a metaphor, as to what they've been entrusted to do. And what God says to the, the leaders of Israel, to specifically the kings and former kings, he in essence says, you have been terrible shepherds. Because you do not genuinely, sincerely care for your flock. You do not care about the people that I have entrusted to you. He says, you do just fine looking out for yourself, but you don't look after your people. You have no problem taking, but you struggle with giving. You benefit from them, but they hardly benefit from you. You've gotten stronger because of them. They've gotten weaker because of you. You see them as a means to an end rather than the end itself. You do not care about your flock. He says specifically, you don't strengthen the weak. You don't comfort the hurting. You don't heal the sick. You don't rescue the strays. You don't search after the lost. You care more about yourself than your sheep. And we see this, this pattern, this heart, throughout Israel's history, specifically Kings, Chronicles, the monarchy, divided kingdom, heiress. We see this early on with, with King Saul, choosing comfort, security, hiding behind his men rather than choosing courage, faith, obedience. We even see this in, in King David. By all accounts, a good king, but in a moment of weakness, taking Bathsheba another man's wife, and then murdering his, ordering his execution. We see this in King Solomon, the wisest king to ever live, taking on a thousand wives and concubines, intermarrying with other nations, eventually turning to serve other gods and, and idols. And we see this pattern throughout Israel's leaders. Individuals choosing 
to look after their own self-interest, their own well-being, preoccupied with their own personal kingdom, their own legacy, striving to make their lives as comfortable and lavish as they possibly could. And God calls out these leaders. And he says, because of this, he says, I'm going to remove you from leadership. You're no longer going to be my people's shepherds because you, you don't shepherd. And he says, instead, I am going to shepherd my people. I am going to be a good shepherd to them. Look what he says in verses 11 to 16. He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Right? God says, I am going to be a good shepherd to my people. I will care for them. I will strengthen the weak. I will comfort the hurting. I will heal the sick. I will take them to green pastures. I will protect them from anyone who intends harm. And what we see through these words, what's, what immediately stands out, what's made abundantly clear is how much God cares about his people. How much he cares about our well-being physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And then he feels this way about all of his people, the strong and the weak, the rich and the poor, the successful and the struggling, the accepted and the rejected, the well-liked and the marginalized. And what God desires from his leaders, what he desires from shepherds is to feel the same way about people, to genuinely, sincerely care about their well-being more than anything else their physical well-being, their spiritual well-being, mental, mental, emotional well-being. Now, I think for most of us, this is you know, pretty straightforward. I don't think any of us here have a hard time agreeing with this. We understand. It makes sense why God would call out Israel's leaders. On one hand, a lot of them were just flat out, selfish, greedy, prideful, arrogant, looking out for their self-interest. And it makes sense why God would, would put them on blast, hold them accountable. But on the other hand, perhaps some of them, as kings and leaders, perhaps some of them were just doing what kings were kind of expected to do. We have to remember that it was the people of Israel who demanded that God gave them a king. That they wanted an earthly king, a human, to rule and reign over them so that they could be like other nations. So that they would have someone they could look to to give them a sense of, 
of confidence, sense of security. And that's kind of what a king was expected to do, to give your people a sense of confidence, a sense of security. Right? A part of a king's responsibility, you were expected to kind of strengthen national security, to build up the military, to acquire strategic territories, to make alliances and treaties with surrounding nations. You were kind of expected to strengthen the economy, to increase trade, commerce, imports, exports, to, to build up the national treasury. You were expected to help out your supporters and your benefactors. You were expected to at least create an image of, of, of a nation that was powerful and strong and successful, which included things like lavish palaces and temples and, and castles. Some of these things were what people expected kings to do. And sometimes it required a little bit of spiritual compromise, some harsh, unkind tactics and policies. An example of this we see is in 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings 12, King Solomon, after ruling and reigning for, for 40 years, dies and passes away. And his son, Reboam, is now in charge. He's the, the new king. And some of Israel's leaders, they approach Reboam, and they make a bold request. They, in essence, say to him, um, you know, your dad was an awesome king, you know. We loved him. But he was pretty hard. He ruled with a heavy hand. He was tough on us. So, can you go a little easier? Can you take it easy? Can you kind of cut back? Can you not work us so hard? You know, maybe shorten the work week, increase minimum wage, lower taxes, give us some more paid holidays. And if you do that, we will we'll, we'll love you. We'll be very thankful. So Reboam says, give me three days, let me think about it. So he approaches some of the older elders of Israel, those who served his father, and he asks them for advice, and their advice to him was, if you choose to humble yourself and serve your people, if you give them what they want, they will be loyal to you and appreciative to you all the days of your life. So Reboam then goes to the younger elders of Israel. These are his buddies, his friends that he grew up with. And he asked them for their advice. And their advice to him is, Rabon, this is not the time to get soft. Don't make things easier, make it harder. So Rabon then goes back to Israel's leaders and here's his response. Verses 12 to 14, it says, Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rabon, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. In other words, I'm not going to go easier. I'm going to make things harder. Now, on one hand, this is evidence of, of pride. 
of arrogance, of a sense of entitlement, an unwillingness to humble oneself for the benefit of, of people. And we see this pattern throughout Israel's leadership. But on the other hand, put yourself in Reboam's shoes for just a minute. Think about his position for a second. Your grandpa was like the godfather of kings, the greatest king, you know, to the greatest empire in the history of the known world. Your dad was the wisest king ever, most powerful, successful, lavish, extravagant. All of the known world respected him and feared him. And now he's dead and you're in charge. And eventually the entire world is about to find out. Now is this really the best time to get soft? Is this the best time to pull your military off the front lines and send them home for some R&R? &R? Is this the best time to take your foot off the gas on the engine that drives the economy? To cut back on your, your workforce? to increase the budget, to tap into your reserves. I mean, is this the optimal time to, to make things easier on your people? I mean, what was a, a good leader, a good king, supposed to do? About a month or so ago, uh, there was a lot of excitement, you know, in our country by some, for the start of the college football season. And there was some excitement, some hope for Southern Californians, the two LA teams, UCLA, SC, at least back then, not so much now, because the excitement was high. There was anticipation, right? So whether you were doing the eight clap, whether you were doing the, uh, you know, like you had a lot to, to feel good about, to be excited for. Well, week one comes around, and uh, both teams win, and everyone's happy. And then week two, and UCLA beats a higher-ranked LSU team, and SC loses to Stanford. And they lose pretty badly. Immediately, SC fans all over are calling for head coach Clay Helton's job. They want his head on a platter. Hashtag fire Helton is all over social media. Two days later, SC fires Helton, replaces them with an interim coach. Now, coaches get fired all the time, and, and I don't know all the details. But what made this one really interesting was that in so many of the articles that were written and a lot of the talk shows and podcasts, everyone went out of their way to mention just how good of a person Clay Helton was and is. Now, when it came to how he treated people, how he cared for his players, coaches, the staff, even the media, there wasn't anyone who had anything negative to say. The only problem is that he couldn't win football games. And in the world of college football, in the world of sports, that made him a bad coach, a bad leader. Here is this, this man who describes himself as a man of faith, family, and football. Someone who genuinely cared about his people, treated them the right way, but just couldn't win games. 
Does that make him a bad leader, a bad coach? And you see, this is oftentimes the detention that leaders have to, to navigate through today. Now, most of us here today, we don't, we're not running a football program. We're not leading a country or a nation. But all of us have been given a certain level of influence. And with that influence comes responsibility and accountability. There is influence that comes with certain titles, certain roles, responsibilities, certain relationships. Maybe we serve people for a living. We work with people for a living. Maybe we manage people, supervise people. Maybe we lead a small group, serve in a ministry. Maybe we volunteer as a coach, a team mom, a classroom aide, an advisor, and a volunteer organization. There are levels of influence that come with certain roles and responsibility, and there is even a level of influence that's, that comes with a certain amount of wealth, a certain amount of resources, spiritual giftings. So maybe we have a title that gives us influence, or maybe there are just moments in our life where we're given influence and authority temporarily. Maybe we're a paying customer at a restaurant, a client in a business entitled with certain amount of power, certain amount of authority. And what we have to understand, what we have to embrace is that whether we're given influence for a lifetime, for a season, for a brief moment, what God desires from us is that we deeply and genuinely care about the people that he's entrusted to us. That he cares about their well-being. And he desires and expects us to care about their well-being. To deeply care about their physical well-being, spiritual well-being, mental, emotional well-being. And while this is pretty straightforward, while this wouldn't be so hard to do in a, a vacuum, the challenge comes when we're called to do this in a leadership position that also comes with other expectations too. Maybe you're expected to increase your company's profits, to grow the business, to expand the ministry, to win ball games, to produce results, certain types of behavior. And in those moments, which takes precedence? What's the priority? What God demands from us or what the, the world, what the, the role, the job expects from us? And on one hand, if we choose to prioritize the world's goals, we try to prioritize the profits, growth, results at the expense of the people, we hurt the heart of God. On the other hand, if we choose to prioritize the people, if we devote time and energy in trying to strengthen the weak, comfort the hurting, heal the sick, rescue the stray, search for the lost at the expense of other expectations, that can cost us our job. Now, I'm not saying it's either or. The ideal would be able to do both. But which takes precedence? What is the priority? And this is why who we worship and serve 
is so important and so foundational. Because when we ask the question, what is a good leader, whose standard do we use to answer that question? Will we prioritize God's people? Will we genuinely, sincerely care about the well-being of his sons, his daughters, of those who wander and stray, those who are lost? Now what's clear is what leaders in all spheres of influence, what's clear is what we're called to do, to care for the sheep. How we do that in our own unique situation with our own unique circumstances, that requires the Holy Spirit. That requires his leadership, his guidance. And that's going to be different for each and every one of us. It's going to be a lot easier said than done. It's going to be hard. Yet the hope and the confidence that we can have is that we all have the same good shepherd looking out and caring for us. A shepherd who strengthens us when we're weak, comforts us when we're hurting, heals us when we're sick, blesses us because we are his. So as we close our, our time this morning, as we consider the various people in our lives that God has entrusted to us, whether it's a hundred, whether it's one, let us turn our eyes and our heart on the one who cares for us, the one who deeply loves us for who we are, the way we are, the one who demonstrated humility and sacrifice, for our well-being so that we can demonstrate humility and sacrifice for the well-being of those around us. Will you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we praise you and thank you for being our shepherd for being the one who, who cares for us more than we can fathom or wrap our minds around. And God, I, I know that as we consider just the people you've entrusted to us and the kind of heart you've called us to have, that we all fall short. That it's easy to, to go through moments of life being more concerned about ourselves than those around us. So God, we, we need your spirit. We need you to, to, to work in us, to change us, transform us, to give us a, a heart like you. That when we see all that we've been given, when we understand all that we've received, that we could use that to bless those around us. That we can use it to strengthen those who are, who are struggling. We can use it to, to search for those who are lost. We can use it to, to rescue those who have strayed. So God, we come before you with whatever influence you've given us, whatever you've entrusted us to do with whoever that might be, whether it's our family at home, our coworkers, friends, peers, and you would give us a heart for them. 
that we would genuinely and sincerely be a people who loves the way you love. That we, we would care about the person the way that you care. So God, we, we bring our, our, our hearts to you. We bring ourselves to you. Pray that you would make us more like you. Give us your heart. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.